Good morning. I'm so glad to be here again. It feels like weeks and weeks since I've been here. So, I was at the General Assembly of the UUA in Spokane, Washington. I'd never been to Spokane. It was, it was really interesting. It's very pretty, and it was much cooler than Nashville. Uh, so, lots of walking around outside. It was nice. I have not been to GA for the last couple of years. The, the two uh, GAs preceding this, after a period of going for several years in a row, because it was part of my job at the Nashville Church, um, one of the privileges of being on staff at a larger church is you have professional expense money, so you can do things like go to GA and go to workshops and be with UUs and colleagues from other places. Um, so I, was, I felt really lucky this year because my job allowed me to go to General Assembly again. It also puts me in a position to, um, I have some observations about what is changing and shifting in our association of congregations, um, because I missed a couple of years, um, and a couple of significant years. I heard someone somewhere during that week I was in Washington State uh, refer to the spring of 2017 as the spring of our enlightenment, which is an interesting way to frame it. 2017 was when we started having uh, more frequent and more insistent, more urgent conversations about um, inclusion and diversity and racism and anti-racism and white supremacy within our own movement, not just in the culture at large. So these have been a couple of really interesting years. And while um, there are things we could focus on from GA that relate more to the business of our association, because that is what General Assembly is, first and foremost, it is about doing the business of the association and using democratic process. Congregations can send delegates who vote on everything. Um, I was really grateful to see that Jill had sent out an email with links to a couple of great pages that highlight some of the work that was done at GA. And I may mention some of that in passing um, but I, what I really want to focus on here, what, I, what I'm reflecting on this summer, is what is changing in our culture as Unitarian Universalists and, and the culture of General Assembly itself, because there are changes happening. Um, just to get rolling with that, I will give you some statistics, because, you know, numbers are a good place to start. Um, there were, at this General Assembly, 2,740 total attendees, and that is low for us, and, which was good because the Spokane Convention Center was kind of weird. It has two big parts, and to get from one to the other, there was, as best I can tell, one hallway, unless you wanted to go outside. There was one hallway that we all had to go back and forth through to get from place to place. Um, but that 2,740 included 170, I mean, I'm sorry, 107 who were registered as youth participating in General Assembly and 226 people who registered as off-site participants. Um, and those were, all those attendees came from 407 congregations, all 50 states, plus uh, the District of Columbia, provinces, uh, two provinces in Canada. Uh, there were people from Mexico and from other places in the world as well. There were among those attendees 1,417 delegates, which included 198 people off-site. So the off-site delegates are increasing every year, and we're starting... 
We have always been trying to get better at including off-site delegates. There's always there's technology issues and time lags and forgetting that, oh, we can't just look around the hall. We need to remember to look at the monitors and what's coming in from off-site delegates when we do a vote, for instance. Um, so GA was smaller this year. What I noticed... Uh, right off the bat, and I also I also attended ministry days, which is a, uh, a gathering of ministerial colleagues that happens for a couple of days before GA starts. So some of my impressions come from that as well. Was that proportionally there were far more people who come from, who had identities that have been less visible in our movement. I'm going to try to say that as inclusively as I can. But there were far more people of color, uh, people who were genderqueer and non-binary, LGBT folks, LBGT, yeah, well, Q, I already said. Um, and they were more visible in positions of leadership. They are more, um, the proportions, actually the UUA has been um, intentionally shifting its hiring and staffing policies. So the staff of the UUA now includes more of people who come from previously marginalized identities or currently marginalized identities. Um, and it's, it's not quite enough yet, but it's much better than it was just even three years ago, for example. Um, and that's part of what we're seeing with more people in leadership positions at GA who come from marginalized identities. Um, and it may have been amplified a little bit by the fact that lots of people just weren't able to come because Spokane is far, far away from a lot of UUs, and um, it's also a little bit hard to get to. There's no direct flights from Nashville to Spokane. No, no one does that, um, and from other cities, I imagine. So um, this was very interesting. Um, to see more people of color in leading us as we move through the week was a different experience for, for some of us. Uh, and it was really, really wonderful. And I think some of this was a conscious strategic decision by people who come from marginalized identities that they would be very careful to speak with love always. And they did. I have never been at a general assembly where I was addressed as beloved so much, mostly from the podium. Um, but everyone who got up said, good morning, beloveds. And when I liked one of the people whose sermons I really admired said, I like to use that term because I like what it calls forth in me and in the person to whom I'm speaking when I say good morning, beloved. Um, but I found that care and love were sort of, you know, they were just a theme that went all through this week. Intentionally, uh, ministerial colleagues were trying to treat each other with care and love. And in talking about our values and what we hold each other and want to hold each other accountable for, we were talking explicitly about love, about taking care of, treating each other with care. Um, and that carried out through the, the whole of the General Assembly week. Um, there, were, there were some other themes and, and values that came out real strongly to me because I heard them over and over again 
in different contexts, sometimes from some of the official reports, sometimes in sermons. There are, one of the fun things for me about going to General Assembly is the worship services, and I think that's because I'm often involved, I'm working during worship, and so when I go to GA, I can just go and worship. But you also get to sit in a big room with lots of people who know all the hymns you know, and you're learning new stuff together, too. Um, but it's really, I think, tremendous to sit in a room full of Unitarian Universalists and singing our songs together. Um, but some of the themes that I heard, this, this care and love ran all the way through the week. Um, also a real emphasis and intentionality about relationship and connection. This is one of our seven principles. It's that, you know, that interconnection of everything, and that's us, and it's us and the rest of creation. Um, but there was a, a real effort to understand what it means to be in relationship with each other, which led to um, an, an interest in talking about, thinking about, taking time to reflect on accountability. And we've become very aware in the last several years that much of what we value and what we say that we want to have happen in the way we wish to behave doesn't always work in practice. That we have not always been as inclusive as we wish, as we desire, as we promise that we will be. Um, so we, we're starting to talk about accountability. And what does, it, what does it mean to hold ourselves accountable? And how do we do that? What just practically, how do we have conversations that are hard? I, I was really interested that during ministry days we had a structured um, conversation where we start our starting off point was accountability, but there was a blog post that somebody drew some passages from that asked the question, what if accountability wasn't scary? Not it's gonna be hard. It will be hard, but what if we made it something that we just do, something we want, something we recognize helps us to grow, so it doesn't have to be scary, and this is kind of a new idea for me, I think, because I'm used to being afraid that I will say something wrong, (laughs) and being fairly sure that I will sooner or later, because I have (laughs) said things wrongly. I've put them in ways that hurt people. Um, I have put them in ways that betray the place where I was raised instead of the place I want to inhabit. Um, And we all do this. And sometimes when we do it, we are made to feel ashamed. Sometimes we are very gently called on it and we still feel ashamed because we were trained to feel ashamed at being wrong. Um, But there might be another way to be. There might be another way to be together with each other. And so I, I found at many points during the week that we were thinking about accountability and how we might do it in a way that doesn't have to scare people, doesn't need to shut people down to make us um, ashamed, feel ashamed. Um, And then there were um, often a lot of this flows right into talking about vulnerability and courage. Um, it, It flows into taking time and thinking about time, how we use our time, what our priorities are, which practices will we choose to cultivate in our movement and in our ways of being together. Um, and one of my favorite places we ended up with is thinking about gratitude and awe or wonder. Humility came up. I know that's a favorite of yours. But this, what happens when we know ourselves better and are able 
to interact more, with more integrity, honesty, freedom with each other, to see each other more clearly because we see ourselves. And this idea, too, that self-acceptance and compassion for the self needs to be at the core of compassion for others and being present with each other, that came out at several points during the week for me. And, and then just this wonder that, you know, for all that we are more and more aware sometimes of how we've messed up, we are still amazingly unique and wonderful individually and together. Um, it is amazing to be in a room of UUs singing hymns together. So uh, along with these, these values, these themes that I saw coming up through the week, I also felt like there was more attention paid to our actual practices of being together, certain processes, um, but real things we do. So how, if this is what is important to us, if care and love and relationship, accountability, vulnerability are things we want to have in our lives individually and together, how do we do that? And some of the answers I sort of got out of my notes from General Assembly was that we need to start valuing process and attending to process, and not just the deliverables was the word that was used in in one address. Um, We've tended to be focused on outcomes and goals. Our culture is that way. We learn that in lots of places in our lives. But to nurture each other, to nurture ourselves, to live in relationship and to value that connection means sometimes we need to take the time to slow down and pay attention to the process. So this, this being willing not just to value the process but also to take time to slow down. We often think, in, there's a lot in our culture again that thinks it's good if you can get there, it's even better if you can get there faster. I'm actually playing with the idea of maybe not driving 80 or 81 on the interstate. <laughs> Only in 70 mile an hour zones, I promise. But, but what if, what if, I, I know, I drive, I drive a, um, a hybrid car, but I still know that I have a lower carbon impact if I drive slower than if I drive faster. So what if, what if? Because um, I, I think, oh, but if I drive just a few miles, if I drive five miles an hour faster, I get there sooner, right? And that's better, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. So, um, yeah, I don't know how successful I'll be at that. I, I went a little slower this morning. Um, we also um, are starting as a people to value collaboration more. Um, and specifically, that's, I'm seeing that in some of the ways the UUA and the UUMA, which is the UU Ministers Association, that's, it's really just a professional organization for ministers. Um, but both of those organizations are paying a lot of attention to staffing. And I'm using that term really broadly. It means paid staff, but it also means the volunteers, because we are at the end of the day, the UUA is, is a church organization. We're, we are at the end of the day volunteer run in, in so many ways. Um, but in hiring and in recruiting and nominating and electing, uh, folks are trying to pay attention to how we make all the processes clearer, more fair, and more inclusive. 
They're paying attention, for example, I've heard a couple people talk about how, oh, there are studies now that are showing that if you put out a job description and say these are the job duties and these are the qualifications, certain groups of people, for example, men, will apply for jobs even if they don't meet all the qualifications. Other groups in general, like, say, women, will tend not to apply for jobs if they don't meet meet all the qualifications. And in fact, the people who get hired for jobs often don't have all the qualifications yet. There's some expectation in the hiring process that you bring people along. You help them get the skills they need if, if they have promise. But that's not ever clear. It's not articulated. So now the UUA, when it posts job descriptions, for example, says candidates who are interested in what this job is supposed to be doing, if you're interested in the job functions and you think you can do them, we encourage you to apply even if you don't meet all the qualifications. They're just making explicit the way the job market already works, but that some people have somehow... We girls didn't figure that out, all of us. <laughs> we didn't know that we could apply even if we weren't qualified and be taken seriously. Um, they're also paying more attention to how people work. Much of the UUA staff does not stay in their offices in Boston. A lot of them work a couple of days a week in Boston and, com- and, and telecommute the rest of the week. Um, Boston's a hard place to live. It's expensive. It's, you know... All, all sorts of things, and people have lives. Um, so, there, but there's great use of technology. We are using uh, video conferencing to, you know, be able. To, you can still have your Monday morning staff meeting. Some people will be on the computer monitor, and some people will be in the room. Um, and we're learning how to do that, how to be connected with each other, even if we're not in the same place. Which again allows more people to participate, more different kinds of people to participate. Um, there is also um, well yeah that, that's good for now I want to give you a few um, oh well no here is the other big practice yeah the, the thing I really loved both in ministry days and during general assembly all the, all the, the everybody who was attending not just delegates, but everyone who's attending GA and all the ministers uh, during ministry days, we all had opportunities to participate in small group reflective discussions, mostly around themes similar to accountability. So, for example, during the General Assembly, we were asked, and I wrote it down, yes, we were asked to talk about um, our efforts and our efforts being UUs in general or church community, whatever individually um, we could reflect on it any way we wanted to to reflect on our efforts toward inclusion equity and diversity three ways what sustains us in these efforts what limits us in these efforts and what should is what was written but some people wanted to change that to shall what should or what shall we expect of ourselves and of each other and that's where that accountability comes in And these conversations could have been kind of scary. My experience was that they were not. First, they were in smaller groups, so think eight to ten people. Um, And there would be like, both times I did this, it's a big room with many tables, 
with eight to ten people. And we had very clear instructions about how to proceed and how much time we would have. And we had, we had time. We took time. This was different for this GA. There were far fewer um, just long days of running around to one or one-and-a-half-hour workshops that were all over the place. And there were just these periods of time that were set aside. We had like 90 minutes to talk about these three questions. Or maybe it was 75, I can't remember. But it was a lot. It was, it was plenty of time. So these were in small groups. Um, and in bo- both times, different groups, I found that um, people start not knowing, can, can I trust you? Are we, are we going to be kind with each other or demanding and, and judgmental? And pretty quickly settled into the former. We're going to be kind. Love and care was one of the first things brought up in the first group discussion that I was in. Um, and my experience of them was that these were really wonderful, rich conversations that we had that were not at all quite exactly what we were expecting going into them. They were um, much more encouraging and supportive, uh, while not backing down from the urgency of the tasks we're facing and how important it is to try to do better than we've been doing. Um, still, um, they were really good conversations. I felt closer to all the people at my table by the, by the end of each of them, and I heard that from everyone else. I, you know, I heard it from people sitting at other tables, and um, at, it, one of these conversations, we sort of just, you know, made big long lists of everything at the conclusion of the session, and people were having, you could tell from the list, they were having really good conversations, and there were great ideas flowing around these tables. Um, and it's a new thing for us as, as UUs, I think, to slow down and check in with every single individual and give them a chance to be the expert, or not to be the expert, to, to share with each other, to think together about important things. Usually we do tend to, oh, isn't there an academic expert we can call in to tell us what to do? That tends to be a little more our style. We didn't do that at this General Assembly. We actually talked to each other. And I loved that. I really loved that. Um, we did hear reports from various people, important people in our movement. Um, And there was, in those reports, a sense of urgency about where we are as a movement and where we are, especially in the United States right now. And I heard that especially from um, Alondria Williams, who's one of the co-moderators of the General Assembly. These are the people who run the business meetings and guide the board of the UUA. and we have, we have two of them right now. That's kind of a, an experiment that we've been in for a couple of years, is to ha- not have a single moderator at the helm, but to have two. Or for, for a season, it was three people sharing this. Uh, that was in New Orleans, you may remember, if you saw any of that General Assembly. But there have been, um, Alondria Williams and Barb Grieve have been co-moderating for us. Um, Alondria said... The, the very first general session we had, where we before we started the business, she said, before we move on, we want to give voice to the urgency of this moment. We are sitting at the precipice of something beautiful, incredible, and radical in this faith. We must allow it to happen and not let fear and distrust of change be our guide. Um, she mentioned a, a little later 
in that address that um, social, social justice institutions, um, institutions like our UUA, um, and including a lot of our churches, by which I think she meant local congregations, are finding that their external words, the, the, the things they do out in public to move toward justice, are not being matched by their internal practices, the way they treat each other, the way they treat their staff for the UUA, for example. Um, that deliverables are still being emphasized. We're still sort of, we have to run this like a business kind of thing. Um, and a lack of care for the process. So, um, and, th- and there's a desire to change that, to do better, to pay attention to the way how we do things can be as important as what it is we decide to do. Susan Frederick Gray, who is the president of the UUA, um, Wow, she's really fun to listen to. And I have to admit, I'm really biased. When I first became a UU back in 2001, she was the intern minister in Nashville. So now I look at her, and she's the Reverend Dr. Susan Susan Frederick Gray. And and I'm like, wow, she was our intern. But now she's like, ooh, she's important. Um, But she also just, she says great things. And I had lists and lists of quotations, which I will not share with you. but her, she's been now president for a couple of years, and the focus this last year has been on relationships, building the relationships that will sustain us, but also building structures that help support those relationships and structures that support accountability within those relationships and accountability within our own groups and structures and staff units and congregations and regions and such, but also accountability outside because the world we want to live in will not be inhabited just by Unitarian Universalists. <laughs> we, are, we are working toward justice for all people in the world. We are trying to build a world in which we want to live and which is better for everyone and everything in that world. It's important for us to cultivate relationships that allow us to listen to voices of others and the experiences of others, to learn to listen to the earth, for instance, even. So how is it that human flourishing is not resulting in the flourishing of the earth and ultimately will come back and hurt itself? We can't flourish if the earth doesn't flourish. Um, So accountability... Um, there was a little bit, of, there was also some celebration, um, there's concern, but also celebration about our fiscal, our financial capabilities. We, um, like all church institutions, there is concern about our viability, both at individual congregations and at the larger level. We have also recently been able to do some really amazing fundraising. Um, the, the campaign for Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism um, which is, I wrote the name down, the premise and the, no, the, pro, the premise and the promise is a book, no. Um, the promise and practice of our faith, I think, is what that campaign, and I don't know whether this congregation participated in that. I think you did, but I'm not sure. Anyway, there was a call over the last couple of years for um, funds to be raised for the, the work of black lives of Unitarian Universalism, and that was, there was a promise made at the beginning of it, which was partly a symbolic Um, making amends for a promise that was broken in the 60s. And 
that promise was fulfilled. That money was raised. And so there was a good deal of celebration at GA about that. There was also um, a, a Wake Now Our Vision, which just was just a, a campaign to raise funds for the, the UUA. And that was also very successful. It had, a lot of it had to do with encouraging people to make um, uh, legacy donations, you know, when, like, part, you know, estate planning. Oh, I should wrap this up soon. Sorry. Um, so there was, we, have, we have the capacity to do big things, really is what this was about. Um, there, we changed some bylaws, which I'm, I'm not going to talk about much, but both in the UUMA, the Ministers Association, and the UUA, um, there were some subtle changes, not a big deal, but because we've come to realize that we need to think of our religious professionals not as being learned, but being learning professionals. So we have ministers who are always learning we are thinking about how to um, make religious education a, a vigorous expectation of every member who is fellowshipped uh, by the UUA and a member in the UUMA. And the UUA bylaws have been tweaked to kind of match that. Um, we, um, yeah, let me just sort of wrap up now with, I have some suggestions. If you're... Um, if you're feeling like you missed something big at GA, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. GA is also ex- really just exhausting. <laughs> it's a lot of people, and it's at the end of the day, it's a convention in a convention center and people you know, staying in high-rise hotels. Um, but a lot of what happened at GA is available on the website, so uua.org slash GA. You have access to a lot of the general sessions and some of the workshops, and all of that content is, is interesting. I, I find it kind of interesting. I'm just very strange, though. I sometimes find just watching business meetings kind of interesting just to see. And they were as frustrating this year as they always are. They, they didn't allow enough time because they wanted us to have time for these conversations. And they had to adjust midstream what we were doing. Um, but it is interesting. One of the things Susan Frederick Gray um, encouraged us I think she wants to kind of make it a tagline. I don't know if it'll work, but she thinks we need to you, you, the vote. You can shout that. Um, and, and by that, she means we need to get out in the world. We need to do it now. She says we are 16 now. It's only 15 months away from the most important election of our lives. Now, maybe. I probably, it feels important. Anyway, we need to be getting out there, but we need to be getting our values out there. So what is being recommended to us is uh, voter registration, voter protection, uh, those sorts of things. Um, Be the people, Susan said, oh, this was good. Let's be the people who show up and bring others along with us to show up. So it's not about trying to convince people to vote a different way. It's about getting people to participate in the democratic process, talking to your neighbors, your friends, those sorts of things. There are lots of things about GA for you to go learn about. I would recommend starting with the links that Jill sent because those are really good, and especially the, the um, taking it home resources, whatever you're interested in. You can also get a real quick summary of what are sort of current UUA priorities in terms of social justice. Um, but also information. There's links to information there. If you're going to watch a worship service from GA, my personal recommendation, and it's only 30 minutes long, is the Saturday morning worship service. It was lovely. It was, it was just amazing. It was a young, um, 
think African American, certainly a person of color, uh, a woman who just, it was, it was just lovely, and, and she talked about a lot of the themes I've been talking about. Um, build connections. Seek conversations. Look for places where you can have slow, careful, reflective conversations with people. And most of all, practice love and care for yourself and for others. Figure out um, why it's hard to accept that you yourself are beloved. Um, the, the, that Saturday morning worship, the sermon, was really kind of about that, that the challenge, the requirement that seeking liberation makes that we accept ourselves as being worthy of love and care so that we can extend that to other people in the world as well. So if you do nothing else, breathe deeply and see if you can sit for a moment with the idea that you are worthy, that you are loved. And may we be so. And may we move out into the world as best we can. Thank you.